As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic. We're at the midway point of the season. You'll see a lot of mid-season uh, reports card type stories on The Athletic for all the teams that we cover there. Uh, this means the division races are starting to crystallize. The hot seat is getting hot for some other schools. Uh, it's getting to the part of the season that is really interesting and should be very interesting going forward. To talk about it, uh, the other beat writer at The Athletic who knows what it's like to cover a coach on the hot seat, Manny Devaro, who covers Miami for us. He's the host of the Wide Right podcast. Uh, Manny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad that I can talk about something more than Miami because uh, talking just Miami football these days is really depressing. Well, we are going to talk about Miami. We are going to talk about Virginia Tech, both in sort of the context of the hot seat. But first, we should actually talk about some teams that are doing well in the league. I don't want to shortchange these teams that are actually playing well just because they're not the teams that we expected to be doing well at this point. I want to start with Pitt because uh, I saw Pitt last week. They clobbered Virginia Tech 28-7. to The game was not even that close, really. I mean, it was 21 nothing at halftime. I think Pitt sort of downshifted at that point. Are the Panthers going to run away with the Coastal Division here? I mean, this is Pitt we're talking about. This is You can never trust Pitt. You can never put too much faith because they will go out, they will lose to Western Michigan like they did a couple years ago. But Kenny Pickett is a Heisman Trophy candidate. 21 touchdowns, one interception. The Pitt defense looks okay. It's not like a vintage Pitt defense, but it certainly beat the hell out of Virginia Tech the other day. No, no you know, great task to do that. The Hokies are terrible on offense. But still, this is a Pitt team that's 2-0. and in the ACC, number 23 in the country, they've already beaten the other team with one loss in the Coastal Division. They'd probably have to lose twice at this point to, to give that up. Who's catching Pitt at this point? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, really, you look at what the difference is with that team, besides the fact that, you know, Kenny Pickett's playing out of his mind, I think the big thing is they have a little more balance, right, in their offense. They can actually run the football a little bit better. Last year, they were absolutely horrendous when it came to running the football i'm looking at it now i think they're 10th in the conference which that's an improvement right you're not dead last anymore uh you've got some incremental steps here that's right what like. 
little by little and and you know so they've got some guys that are sort of splitting the the workload and and so you can't just sort of tee off and just go and and try to kill Kenny Pickett back there and 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 just worry about the passing game and you know defensively I think they're still doing a a, a good job I mean you know they've always been solid defensively I mean that's Narduzzi's specialty um you know this isn't a very daunting schedule for them um when you look at the at what they've got left on deck here uh what do they got uh, after Virginia Tech? Clemson I, this week. Clemson this week. That's a game, obviously, that they, I think, could lose. But beyond that, um, and, and that's mainly because Clemson's defense, I think, will, will keep it tight and isn't, isn't going to let them go get away so easily. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's nobody else in, in, in the division that's really showing that they have as good an offense as, as Pitt does in terms of consistent quarterback play, uh, balance. Um, they're, they're the best team, the best resume right now. Yes, they have the loss to Western Michigan. Um, yes, they, they, you know, have had moments where it hasn't always looked great. I mean, the Tennessee game was a battle. But look, man, I mean, 70 points against New Hampshire. What is it, 31 against Georgia Tech and 21 against Virginia? They're distancing themselves from a lot of people. So I think, yeah, at this point, they have to be the favorite. Here's the schedule going forward. Clemson at home. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites uh, this weekend. Miami at home at Duke. UNC, UVA at home, and at Syracuse. You know, they're, everybody else other than Virginia Tech has two losses in the Coastal, and Pitt already has a head-to-head win against Virginia Tech, so that's basically like a two-game lead there. Do you see two losses on that schedule for the Panthers? I think Virginia might be the only team um, that could beat them, to be honest, and, that, and that's because Brendan Armstrong at any point could go off with, with that offense. And, and, you know, Virginia Tech's defense, I mean, Virginia's defense rather, uh, yes, they, they, they looked bad the first half of the season, but I thought they had their moments against Miami where they started to turn the corner a little bit. Um, and, and to me, you know, they, if you win the head-to-head battle at that point, assuming, let's assume for a second, Pittsburgh loses to Clemson at home, even though they're favored. Um, you know, you win that head-to-head meeting and Virginia wins out. They, they could very well win the division. So, Yeah, I mean, I think they could be caught. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, UVA is an interesting team, and we'll talk to them about them uh, a little bit later on the podcast here. Kenny Pickett versus Brennan Armstrong uh, with the ACC Player of the Year perhaps in the balance. Who would have thought that uh, before the season coming (laughs) in? I think you could have you could have gotten very long odds on that one that 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 you could have been uh, cashing in on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think most of us thought it would be, uh, you know, some combination of North Carolina and Miami or North Carolina, maybe Virginia Tech. But, you know, look, Pittsburgh has been just one of those teams that year in and year out under Narduzzi's had a great defense, right? They've, they've been very solid on that side of the ball. It's could they ever sort of get the balance for, for, for Kenny Pickett? Because they've had some receivers. They've produced guys at that position over the years that have gone on and played at the next level. It's just, you know, do you have balance? And, and I think they have more of that this year, which – Helps Kenny Pickett get, you know, get to be even better. And, you know, he's a legitimate Heisman candidate. I mean, if Pittsburgh wins the conference, um, he's got to be invited to New York, right? He's got to be there for the With the numbers he's putting up, I mean, 21 touchdowns to one pick. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, that's uh, I don't know where exactly he sits with efficiency, but it's way up there. Uh, in the country this year. So I, I think he'd have to be at, at least in the consideration. The question is, can he continue this? Because Pitt, whenever right. you start to put a little bit of faith in Pitt, uh, they end up letting you down in some way or another. Which brings us to this game this week, which uh, really interesting line on this. Three and a half point favorites against Clemson. Uh, you probably have to go way back to find out <laughs> the last time Clemson was an underdog against any ACC team. And yet I still feel like this number kind of feels low. 
I feel like Pitt should probably be favored by more in this game. If you remove the Clemson logo from the helmets in this one and you just matched up the profiles of these two teams, you took the t- the names out of it, would Clemson be three and a half point underdogs in this game or would it no. be more than that? No, it would certainly be more than that. But I think you, you do have to respect the fact that Clemson is still playing good enough defense to keep them in a game like this. And they do have the guys on their team who take a lot of pride uh, in, in trying to see the season through. And you still got Dabo and that coaching staff on the other sideline. I mean, these guys have have won championships. And, and, you, and you can't just sort of disregard that uh, just because Pitt's been playing well of late. I think... You know, again, and and I would venture to say, you know, there's also the psychological game for Pitt. Yeah, Pitt beat Clemson in the past, uh, but how many of those kids are still on this roster, right? That beat Clemson a few years back. I don't. Well, I don't Kenny know. Pickett is a 15th year senior, so he so was he, probably so on he that. was there. He was there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, for the most part, I mean, how many of those guys are, are really uh, experienced that? And, and you know, again, uh, you know, Clemson's won this thing six years in a row. They're going to take tremendous pride in not giving that thing away. They still have a chance at winning that division. Uh, this is a, a, a must-win game for the Tigers in a lot of ways. And, and so uh, I think it's going to be a heck of a football game, and, and, I, and I think it'll, it'll come down to a final possession type deal. I think it's been interesting because Vegas has been way off on mm-hmm. Clemson in recent weeks. And uh, as somebody who puts a little money down every now and then, I've taken advantage <laughs> Of those huge lines. I mean, they were favored by like 16 against Boston College. I think it was 14 against Syracuse. And this is an offense that still has not scored more than 19 points in regulation this year. Uh, you know, DJ Uyunglele is just in his own head, it feels like, a quarterback. The, the person who threw the best pass for Clemson last week was the punter. <laughs> on a fake punt before yes. halftime against Syracuse. I mean, this is an offense that just, I think we keep saying they're going to figure it out. They've got all this talent. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. What if they don't figure it out? What if this is just not solvable in the middle of a season? You really think they're going to hold Pitt to 14 points, 15 points? I mean, uh, Pitt's no. averaging 40 plus. I mean, I, I just feel like it's going to be a really hard time for Clemson to score enough to keep pace with Pitt, even if Clemson's defense does a good job and, and holds Pitt under its season average. I, I agree. I mean, look, Pitt's favorite for a reason. I, I'm just saying I think Clemson will have a shot at the end of this game. I, I think they'll play well enough defense on, on the defensive side of the ball to keep it close. The thing with Yuanga Lele, I, I just can't believe that, that it's been this drastic of a drop-off, right? I mean, I, I just – what he showed last year when he filled in, um, I mean, he was a different player. And, and it's funny how confidence, I mean, can, can play a factor in how well a player uh, performs. I mean – uh, you, you would have figured going into this year, having having you know experienced players around him, some some receivers that have obviously played at, at Clemson in the past and had success, uh, you know, coaching staff, that he would have more than four touchdown passes right now. I mean, he hasn't even thrown for a thousand yards in six games, and it, it it's just it's remarkable how much he struggled just to just to make the average play, just to make the throws that he needs to make. Uh, he's had two. Two games where he's completed fewer than 50% of his passes. Uh, Boston College, he was 13 of 28 against North Carolina State, 12 of 26. Um, it, it, it's baffling to me. And the fact that there really isn't much of a consistent running game at all behind him obviously hurts. But Yongalele, uh, I expected so much more. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just was not expecting this much of a drop off from Clemson. I thought for sure, uh, you know, they'd be a team that would, would probably be unbeaten. Uh, or a, a one-loss team going into this game, um, 
you know, I, I, it, it's it's baffling to me that it, it's been this bad and they haven't been able to figure it out this long. I would expect this means there's going to be some changes right at the end of the season as far as the coaching staff is concerned and and potentially quarterback position because uh, they, they they've got to upgrade it. Clemson's not going to accept you know being this mediocre, this below average on offense. I feel like they would if you hadn't looked at those guys as history and they've won national championships with this coaching <laughs> staff. Like it's kind of hard to say, like, oh, when, when are you ever going to succeed? It's like, well, we got two rings here. We've done this before, uh, and those coaches have been a big part of that coaching staff. I, I do want to flip over to the Atlantic side here uh, with a team that I, I kind of give the short shrift to a lot, and it, I'm starting to kind of come around on NC State. It's a team you'll be covering this week. They're playing uh, against Miami. Uh, I don't know what it was last week. They go up to Boston College. I think they were three-point favorites coming into that game. They come out a 33-7 to victors up there at Chestnut Hill. I feel like the Wolfpack are hooking me. I'm starting to believe this is a dangerous territory to be in for NC State. This is like NC State and Pitt. It's like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. It's like, do not put your faith in these teams because they'll let you down. But I look at this NC State team, and it just seems like a well-balanced group. It's got the conference's number one defense uh, didn't give up 300 yards against uh, Boston College. Devin Leary threw for 251, three touchdowns. Uh, even though they didn't run the ball great in that game, I still think they're they're capable in that sense. Uh, are you buying NC State yet? Yeah, I am. And, and and you know what? Those guys had a good year last year. They just, you know, with a backup quarterback, right? I mean, Leary was injured for, for the majority of that season. And they still managed to win, what, eight games that they finished with? Nine games? Eight games, but it's eight like games. they beat all the teams they were supposed to and lost to everybody they were supposed to. And even a couple like Virginia Tech that they probably shouldn't. So that's right. why I looked at last year's results and I'm like, I don't know if they have it, but I think Devin Leary coming back is such a difference maker with this team that they, it puts them in a different uh, frame of mind when I'm considering them. I, I think of NC State as legitimate this year, mm-hmm. uh, more than last at least. No question. And, and I think Miami was very fortunate to beat them last year up there in Raleigh. I mean, it, that was De'Aaron King's magic in the fourth quarter, uh, hooking up with uh, Mike Harley on a on a little slant pattern and, and, and taking the lead late in a shootout, a 44-41 to 41 shootout. Um, you know, it doesn't take much, right, to, to to be very good in the ACC, I think. I think you just need a defense with a pulse and a quarterback. That's basically enough these days to to emerge at the top of the list. And they had those ingredients last year. They had a lot of returning seniors, uh, a lot of guys that were experienced players for them. Um, and, and Leary really is the difference. Um, you know, they, they've got guys on the outside that can make plays, and their running game was very consistent. I think it's it, it's been impressive to see how they've gotten better week after week. Yes, they barely got past Louisiana Tech uh, 34-27 after, after the Clemson game. But to me, that was sort of expected, right? You had your big emotional moment against Clemson. Then you got to come back and play some group of five school that really isn't that great. And, you, and so they, they were a little flat that game, but I thought – you know, they, they, they've done what they, they're supposed to do with the talent that they have. And this week against Miami, I, I think they beat, they beat the Hurricanes soundly this week as well. And then you look at the rest of the season, Louisville at home, at Florida State, and then the big one at Wake Forest. Um, you know, I, I think the season's basically going to come down to that Wake Forest game. If they can win that game, they're, they're going to get into uh, the ACC championship game in my mind. Um, Clemson can't catch them unless they lose twice in the conference, and, and I, don't, I, I just don't expect that to happen. Uh, I think this is a 10-win NC State team. Yeah, it's interesting because we talk about Wake Forest getting off to the 4-0 start, but NC State's the one that has that Clemson win already. 
they've already banked that one. Uh, interesting coming up that Wake Forest will have to play both NC State and Clemson. I want your opinion on Dave Doran. This is his ninth season at NC State. Two years ago, they were four and eight and one and seven in the league, finishing last place in the Atlantic. Uh, he has finished ranked one time in his tenure there. Perhaps this year is a second time like that. Are you surprised he was able to come back from that a couple years ago? Because coaches getting, you know, approaching a decade at one place, once you get past a certain number of years, it's sort of unacceptable to have a four and eight season in the middle of that or last place finish. It, it is kind of uh, astonishing to me that he's been able to turn the tide and get this thing going in the right direction again. He's not a bad coach. I, I, I think, you know, the one thing you have to value in college football nowadays, especially you and I, right, being at, <laughs> covering two of the hottest seats in, in college football, um, is, is when you've got a guy that at least puts you in position where you're supposed to be, right, where you're supposed to be. NC State doesn't have the expectations of winning the ACC. They never do because they're in Clemson's division. And yet this guy, uh, Dave Doran, has put them there close enough where they've had tough games against Florida State when Florida State was the was was running things in, in the Atlantic. And, and, and even against uh, Clemson, yeah, there were some blowout losses when Clemson was at their best, but NC State was right there. They were making bowl games, um, and, and I think, you know, you got to give a guy time to sort of put his fingerprint on something. And when you're at a school like NC State, if you're winning seven, eight games a year, that's good enough. And if you can every now and then have a year like this where you have the potential to win 10 games, then then, then that's what you take. I, it's all about expectations, Andy, to me. Um, you know, and, and NC State's never going to be a place, I think, where they're going to be expected to, to win the conference or win or, or, or go to a, you know, a college football playoff. So he's the kind of guy that could, could thrive in that situation. Um, you know, the recruiting classes haven't been bad. Um, they've gotten good players at NC State, good enough to, to put a few guys in the league here and there. And, and, and that's all it takes, I think, to be a bowl team year in and year out uh, at NC State. Yeah, NC State, uh, I'm looking this up to make sure I have it right, one 10-win uh, season in its history. It's 2002, mm-hmm. the 11-3 team with Chuck Amato, Philip Rivers is the quarterback. Yep. I covered uh, that team in the uh, in the Gator Bowl, Gator Bowl against Notre Dame. Yeah, I think I I was working in Danville at the time, and I'd cover NC State basketball games. It felt like every single game they brought the Gator Bowl trophy out to halftime to like honor that team. It's like how many times like they honored the Gator Bowl champion here, but that was a big deal right. at that point. Will be interesting to see. Uh, if NC State can keep this up. You mentioned the hot seat before. I feel like this is a good jumping off point for our hot seat rankings. Uh, There's a 1-2 in the conference right now, and we are well-versed with both of them. Uh, I'll I'll hand it to you. I'll throw it to you first to ask you, who has the hottest seat in the ACC right now? Without question, it's Manny Diaz. I I think um, this is a team that was picked 14th in the preseason, uh, one of the most experienced Miami teams uh, of all time, really. They, they haven't had this many sixth and seventh year guys in the past that I know about. So you, you have Derek King at quarterback. You have all these expectations. The offense is supposed to get better under Rhett Lashley. And yes, they've had injuries, but there's no excuse uh, to be this bad, especially if you're Manny Diaz and you and you took such pride in saying, I'm taking over the defense, right? This is my defense. I'm going to get them back to being at that level. I'm actually working on a story for the athletic ranking. This, this is the first time since 2011 there isn't a single uh, team from Florida ranked in the AP poll. Okay, Two, 
2011. I mean, no, no Gators, no Seminoles. And if you look at Miami, just ranking them against the seven, you know, amongst the other six FBS programs in the state, their defense, I mean, they rank 113th, giving up 36 points a game uh, against FCS opponent, uh, FBS opponents this year. The only team worse in state is USF, who North Carolina absolutely pulverized, um, giving up 39 points a game. So, to me, that's the issue here for Miami. It's, it's quite frankly, Diaz taking on this responsibility of moving to defensive coordinator. They are the worst tackling team in America. Nobody's seat can be hotter because he put that pressure on himself. I, listen, I, I respect everything your guy over at Virginia Tech has done because he's been on the hot seat now for several years. But I, I don't think the expectations going into this season for Virginia Tech were as high as they were for Manny Diaz in this group veteran of the hot seat justin fuente i, I just to finish up on diaz before I, I i turned to fuente attention here six straight losses to power five teams yep. going back the last year uh probably should have lost to appalachian state would he still be there right now if they had lost to appalachian state we're sitting at one and five i i don't know if it has as much to do with the record as the players quitting on him like the last time blake james fired a coach uh it was it was Al Golden in 2015, and, and they lost 58 nothing to Clemson. Like that right. was like you had no choice at that point. Miami doesn't just fire head coaches because you know they lose by a field goal or uh, you know they got they, they couldn't you know ball goes up the upright against Virginia or you know Tyler Van Dyke gets picked off at the 16 yard line with the game on the line in North Carolina. They fire coaches when they get embarrassed and the team quits on them, and and that hasn't happened yet with Manny Diaz. Uh, will it happen by the end of the season? It very well could. I think there's a lot of former players, a lot of uh, people speaking publicly about this program in, in ways that they haven't uh, in years past. I think people have always just said, oh, you know, Miami, they'll get they'll get there eventually, right? The right coach will take them there. This has been embarrassing. Losing to FIU was embarrassing two years ago. Losing uh, to Duke and Louisiana Tech to finish Manny Diaz's first season was embarrassing. Losing six straight to power five teams is embarrassing. Um, that's something I don't know that he's going to overcome by the end of the season. The next two games here, NC State at home. Uh, the Wolfpack are three-point favorites right now in that. I think that actually opened as Miami as a favorite. Is that right? <laughs> I think I saw that so, somewhere. Then it swung the other way. I'm like, man, I wish I would have gotten in on that action early. Yeah. Because, uh, I would not have believed in that. The week after that, they go to Pitt. Uh, you talk about the potential for an embarrassing loss. I mean, that's an offense that could embarrass you if you don't show up. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on you know how does this play out? How is Miami situated uh, if they do decide to make a change and have to go on to what is a, a very competitive coaching carousel already with a couple of these jobs that are open in USC and LSU already that are out there? Yeah, I, I, I think it all comes down to what position is Miami in as far as finding Diaz's replacement? Because if they're in a position where they've they've decided that they're firing him at the end of the season, and they're already working on the next head coach, which I, I would tend to think Mario Cristobal would be the first phone call. Being a former Miami offensive lineman, a Miami native, a Cuban, um, American, the whole thing, uh, I would think that that would be the first guy they call and try. Um, if, if that's the case, then I think they could make a change in the middle of the season because then at that point you could sort of make it known publicly that you're, you're already after his replacement or, or in good position to land his replacement. But I think... Uh, the one thing Manny Diaz has going for him is even if he loses the next two games, Miami still has four more to qualify for a bowl game after that. 
And none of those games, I think, are unwinnable. I think the next two are probably games they're going to lose. Uh, so I could see them falling to 2-6. and six. But the rest of the way, uh, if they get back and they get into a bowl game and all of a sudden Tyler Van Dyke starts playing well and uh, the defense plays better because they're the younger guys that they're putting on the field perform better, um, then I think Manny Diaz saves himself. Um, but it, it would have to take, I would say, pretty embarrassing losses the next two games for, for the administration to decide that's it. Well, let's turn to the guy that I cover, uh, who, as you mentioned, is a veteran of the hot seat. It, it's like you know, like boiling a lobster. <laughs> like the light, You're boiling it alive and it doesn't notice it. It's like, oh, my gosh, this, is, this water is getting hotter around me. It feels like that's been the case. Uh, we're now sort of like three or four years into this, this hot seat with uh, Justin Fuente. And, and somebody who's covered this team for a while, it just feels like they're stuck in uh, suspended animation. This can't mm-hmm. be a team that can do better than 500 right now. Virginia Tech, 3-3 three and three right now. Two close losses to West Virginia, uh, Notre Dame. Get blown out by Pitt. Uh, that is the sixth home loss for Justin Fuente by more than 20 points Woof. in six years. Yeah, Frank Beamer had one of those in his last 10 years. And it was against Miami. It was a, a night game. I think, I believe a Thursday night game in 2014. Duke the Duke Johnson game. They won that. I think it was 30-6 to six in that. And I remember Frank Beamer coming in afterwards. And, uh, you know, he was always sort of like the steady guy. Always looking for a positive. I thought we competed. Uh, I feel good about this program, the direction we're going. And it felt like at that point that nobody in the fan base believed him. That felt like a turning point. Uh, in sort of the end game of Beamer's career, and I don't know if they ever could pull back from that night specifically. I don't know if the tide has turned with Fuente or if it turned a while ago, because this is just, it may be just past the point with him right now. He's 41 and 29 at Virginia Tech, but if you look deeper at the numbers, uh, 11 and 18 versus Power 5 competition since the middle of 2018 when things kind of went off the rails for this program. Uh, 15 and 13 in the ACC since t- uh, 2018, uh, the start of that year. It, it's just things have not gone well <laughs> for this team. At a certain point, I, I feel like Virginia Tech has to ask itself, is this the best it can do? Because you go into the coaching carousel and you never know. You never know how things are going to turn out, and there's probably like a 30 or 40% hit rate on these coaches. And I think that was sort of some of the calculus last year. It's like, are you going to judge him based off of this pandemic year and you're paying a huge buyout? You just sort of got this defensive staff in place. A lot of them are alums that people really like in the program. Justin Hamilton, Jack Tyler, some young coaches uh, like Ryan Smith, who's a really good recruiter. Are you going to throw that out all after one pandemic year? And I think there was a thought that, no, you don't do that. But now they come back this year, three and three, probably not going to get in the mix. I know they have a, a forgiving schedule coming up, but I feel like the offense is just not capable right now. And this is, you know, offense was Justin Fuente's specialty. Braxton Burmeister was his hand-picked quarterback uh, coming into this year. He had talked up this offense all offseason, and it's ranked 120th nationally right now it's just been a disaster I, I just don't know how you come back for that where you you're like no no we're gonna get things fixed we're coming in this year it's a normal year the offense is gonna be great and then the offense is as bad as it has ever been under Virginia Tech so it's pretty hot here too I know you said Diaz definitely is the hottest seat uh in the ACC but it's pretty hot in Blacksburg as well I, I again Andy I, I think this all comes down to expectations and what um, what the coaches take on, right? Um, Fuente is not 
calling the offense is he is he is he the oc is he play calling too he is not play calling but that is okay. part of the issue the fans have is they do not like offensive coordinator brad cornelson and his play calls and fuente has backed him unequivocally okay that has been but, his guy and he has not budged an inch on making a change there or thinking but, about making a change there but if he needed to sacrifice a lamb right to save his own hide uh couldn't he just in the middle of this season say Hey, I'm taking the play calling back. There's a move for him. There's not a chess move for Manny Diaz. Well, yeah, but Manny is throwing multiple coordinators over the side of the boat. Yes. And he's just like, I'm going to do this. And he's played all of his cards. He's played all of his cards. I think Fuente could do that or could have done that after last year. I feel like now, I mean, this is year six. He's been there a while. He knows the lay of the land. These are all his players that he's recruited, and this is the product right now. And that's hard to reconcile and, and look at that and go, this guy is the right choice to continue leading this. There's nobody better out there that could do this. I, th- I think in year six, you have to be like, okay, this is fish or cut bait at this point. Right. I agree. Every every you know coach has a, has a certain run, right? You give him so many opportunities. Um I will say I'm looking at the recruiting class rankings for next year. Are they 19th nationally? Is that right in the composite? Yeah, they actually ranking? have a very good recruiting class. Uh, See, unlike the previous couple of years, but that's never a good reason to keep a coach. No, I understand, but maybe it's a good enough reason to keep them all the way until the end of the year, and you got that replacement waiting. See, I I, I think Diaz's seat is hotter because there's a potential for for being fired in the middle of the season, but I, I think Fuente will get till next year because. That there is a recruiting class you got to try to hold on to, and you got to have a, a coach sort of in waiting. I think to, especially nowadays with the transfer portal and and how quickly. I mean, just the way personnel moves so quickly. There are some good players to hold on to at Virginia Tech. I think the bigger over, overarching question is, you know, will Virginia Tech ever get back to being a national title contender like it was before uh, under Beamer? And it, and it's been a decade now, really, where they haven't been because. You know, even towards the end of Beamer's regime, they weren't finishing the season ranked. It wasn't like they were setting the world on fire. It's not like Fuente came in here and just, you know, took over uh, Virginia Tech at its peak. Like, he had work to do when he came in. And I, I look at that as, as, as a bigger situation going forward. It's, you know, can you identify the right guy? Who is the right guy? Like, what works? What Would Frank Beamer work in today's college football world? I don't know. I, I mean... They've won so many games over the years with great defense, great special teams. Yes, they had Michael Vick, and, and they've had a few great running backs over the years. But really, I mean, the the recipe to me covering Miami and, and seeing them go against Virginia Tech all those years was just that defense. And and are, can they be an elite defense again? Do they have the recruiting base to go out there? Are there other schools coming into their backyard now taking away the guys that maybe they used to get? Who changes that? Um, I don't know. You – only you would be able to answer that, Andy Bitter. I well, think even I can't know. answer it because that is the <laughs> fundamental question about Virginia Tech. Is is this? Are they in the state they're in right now because of Justin Fuente, or are they in the state they are right now because Virginia Tech is a football program and the profile that it has that exists right now can't succeed the way it used to? I mean, they Frank Beamer is a Hall of Famer for a reason. Like, he won at Virginia Tech, a school that had never won before like that. He took them within a quarter of the national championship, catching lightning in a bottle that year with, you know, Michael Vick, a transcendent quarterback, and, oh, they have the nation's number one defense as well. You know, Corey Moore, one of the best defenders uh, in the school history on that side. Uh, 
Frank Beamer was really able to go into the 757 at a time where the talent was so immense down there and perhaps not many as many outside uh, poachers coming in. Obviously, that's happened a lot lately as Virginia Tech has faded a little bit there. Uh, the talent maybe not quite as good in the 757 as it used to be. Uh, so I, 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 a lot of dynamics have changed from when Virginia Tech was that good. And I wonder, you know, is the money gap becoming so large now that it's tough to compete the same way they, they, that they did before? Can you get those same kind of recruits? Can you keep in-state recruits here? Because really, ever since Percy Harvin, they've had a lot of trouble doing that, going back to that, you know, that time when uh, a lot of players started going out of state. So I, I don't have the answer, <laughs> and I don't know if anybody around Virginia Tech has the answer, because it's just there's not a lot of uh, coaches that have been tried here. I mean, it was Frank Beamer for 30 years, and now you've had one coach, Fuente, where it hasn't worked the way they had hoped. So it'll be interesting going forward, because I, I don't think there's just an obvious hire out there that you go, oh, well, you just bring in Shane Beamer. You know, he's not he's not available. He's at South Carolina. And even if he was available, first of all, I don't know if he'd want to come here because you want to go to a place and coach where your dad has a statue outside the stadium. The, the pretty, you know, lofty expectations that that's the case. But so, like, I don't know if there's like an alum out there that they would bring back and would be uh, you know tremendous. They could do things here. They didn't really like have this huge Frank Beamer coaching tree. It was it was Bud Foster who was there forever and he's now retired. And for what I understand, pretty happy uh, in retirement. So I don't know if there's just an obvious move for, for Virginia Tech. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out because I, it, I'm leaning towards it coming to a head before the end of the season. I, I feel like it's probably trending towards a change. We'll see. They have a pretty manageable schedule here coming forward. Two other jobs I did want to hit real quickly on the ACC just to hit them. Dino Babers at Syracuse. Uh, and David Cutcliffe at Duke. Now, I'm not suggesting that Duke is going to fire David Cutcliffe because he's sort of the program savior. He took them to an ACC championship, like the worst program in the Power Five. He took them to an ACC championship, but things have uh, been sliding for a while, and this looks like another last place finish coming up for the Blue Devils. Cutcliffe kind of getting up in years. You wonder if it's it's maybe time to have that conversation about a easing out type situation. And then you look at Dino Babers. He's 27 and 40 in his sixth year at Syracuse. You know, Syracuse is a lot more competitive this year. They've had three-point losses the last three weeks to Florida State, Wake Forest, and Clemson. All three games they could have won. Uh, but at year six and coming off a 1-10 season, uh, do either of those guys you feel like uh, perhaps a change could be made after the season? Yeah, I, I look, I wrote the preseason preview on, on Duke, and obviously um, Cutcliffe, you know, he made the decision to – do the anti Manny Diaz, which was hand hand the offense back over to his guys, right? His young guys, instead of being the coordinator, he basically admitted it was too much for him to juggle. Um, you know, the Cutcliffe situation is is unique because he's a legend there. He's the best. You could argue he's the best coach Duke's ever had, right? I mean, he's he's taken them to places that that others couldn't, um, especially in today's modern era of college football. I mean, it's well, so Spurrier was the better coach. He just wasn't there long enough to do it at Duke. Like, right. He was pretty good at Duke, but like Cutcliffe has been there a long time and pulled right. them out of the depths. And and it was a totally different era back then. And, you know, now it's, it's really difficult uh, at a school like Duke unless you're able to recruit well. And they have. They were they recruited some excellent defensive linemen over the years and, and a couple of receivers here and there, uh, quarterbacks, right? I mean, they've got Daniel Jones in the NFL. He's, he's done a good enough job pulling in the occasional star. Um, I don't know who, again, it's, it's who is the right guy for that job? Who do you put in, in those shoes um, to replace him and, and get better results? I don't know if that guy exists. Um, uh, I, I would say the Babers job, um, 
you know, obviously he had the one good year with Syracuse. What do you take him to nine or ten wins that year? I yeah, can't remember. and they were in the um, Camping World Bowl. Right, it's a very um, good team. Yeah, I mean, again, Syracuse. I, I feel like all of these ACC schools that we're talking about that have won in the past, that have played in big bowl games or played for national championships, that were part of the Big East. I think part of the reason why they're struggling is because they're not in the Big East anymore. There's tougher competition here on the other side of that conference in Clemson and Florida State and NC State. Like, those teams could beat them every single year. Um, and and I think in the Big East, I mean, let's face it, they had a great time beating up on Temple and, and, and all the other weak teams in the Big East for many, many years. It was Miami, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse. Those were the three teams. It's a different landscape of college football now. It just is. Um, Miami is having trouble recruiting its own backyard. The best players are going to other schools. Uh, you could argue certainly with, with, for Virginia Tech, right? I mean, it's just not the same caliber of kids coming out of the Virginia area year in and year out, and they're not all going to Virginia Tech. So uh, I, I think Syracuse is just always in that situation where you'll get a head coach who comes in there, can probably string one or two really good years together, and then once that group leaves, uh, you go back to being average or below average. Um, it's just It's just what Syracuse is. I think Babers is a good coach. I think somebody else is going to hire him because they think he's got potential to win somewhere else with more talent. Um, and and so I think they'll have to make a coaching change here at one point or another because that's usually what happens at Syracuse. Um, but for now, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think like both of those guys have done a good enough job to not have to worry about changing zip codes if they didn't want to go anywhere. I, I, I do. I just think you got to give Cut as much time as he wants. And unless he says he wants to step away, let him keep coaching. Well, you are a lot less cutthroat than a lot of fans on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody should be fired uh, all the time. I'm getting that all the time in my mentions about Justin Fuente. Want to get to the rest of the ACC slate here real quick. Just We'll go through these games real quickly. Georgia Tech at Virginia. Virginia is a seven-point favorite in this game. Uh, both have two losses in the ACC. I'm not saying the winner of this game is in contention, but I feel like the loser is out of contention here if you hit three losses in this league. Who do you like in that one? Uh, I, I take Virginia because of Brendan Armstrong. I think uh, they're at home, right? And and they, to me, having watched them against Miami, I haven't seen Georgia Tech yet in person, but uh, Georgia Tech's kind of an up-and-down team, right? They'll show up one week playing great defense or, or, or playing better than, than their average defense, and they show up the next week and give up a bunch of points. So I think Brendan Armstrong, uh, there's more explosiveness with his offense than there is at Georgia Tech, and so I, I take uh, Virginia in that game. Yeah, I like UVA too. I actually think UVA is the best contender other than Pitt in the Coastal Division. They still get to play Pitt coming up. They can still get that head-to-head victory, perhaps win a tiebreaker there if Pitt loses twice. Uh, I just like the way they're playing on the offense. Their defense is coming around a little bit. Shut out Duke last week. I know it's Duke. Uh, that's still a big accomplishment for a defense that wasn't stopping anybody earlier this season. Uh, Boston College at Louisville. Louisville is a seven or six-point favorite uh, in this game. Both have two losses. The Cards have been competitive. They've lost a tight one to Wake Forest, a tight one to UVA. And then on the flip side, Boston College, it just doesn't feel like Boston College can score. I mean, they have 20 points in two ACC games. Is there, can, is there any way that the Eagles keep up with the Cardinals in this game uh, just in terms of explosiveness? No, I, I, I think Louisville is the better team of the two. Um, you know, Boston College, I, I thought for sure uh, going into this year that they'd have a chance to to finish with eight or nine wins. Now, after seeing what they've done, these first two uh, ACC opponents, um, I'm kind of 
fallen off that train. I, I just think Louisville's got a better offense. Um, I, I, I would take the Cardinals in this game. You said the spread is what? Six points. Six points. I'd, I'd take the Cardinals to cover that. I just think offensively, whatever confidence they had the first few weeks, beating up on the Colgates and the Massachusetts of the world is out the window. Uh, there's there's better teams in, in, in their division that they're going to play here the next few weeks. And I think you're right. You hit it on the head. Unless unless all of a sudden, uh, you know, they, they they get the offense rolling here, they're they're going to be uh, probably looking at a six win season. Champion of the New England states doesn't get you very far once you get no. into ACC play here. Uh, Wake Forest ranked 16th this week, three-point favorite at Army. What a hmm. weird game. What are you doing scheduling Army <laughs> in the, in the middle, middle of the, of the season. season, Wake Forest? This is just like, hey, mess us up a little bit with your option offense. Like, like They're probably not looking ahead because they played Duke the week after this, but if they had like right. a, a big game the next week... I feel like this would totally be a trap game. And clearly Vegas isn't buying into the Deeks quite yet. They've got them as three-point favorites in this game. Yeah. Well, one thing you got to say for these guys at Army is they, they played Wisconsin pretty tough last week. And I know Wisconsin's Wisconsin not, stinks. As a Wisconsin I, graduate, I can tell you that the Badgers are terrible this year. I understand. But it was a 20-14 to 14 game. It wasn't like Wisconsin took them out to the woodshed. Um, and, and, you know, you're playing a Big Ten defense. Uh, Wisconsin's defense I don't think is terrible. I think they're okay. I think the, their problems are on the offensive side of the ball. So our Army, you know, they had a, a rough day against a, a defense. Wake Forest, to me, um, they're a team that just – I don't know how he does it every single year, man. <laughs> he's such a good coach how he does it every single year because, yes, he's got a couple standout players and, and pass rushers and whatnot. But, I mean, let's face it. Every single year, Wake Forest is the bottom of the recruiting standings. He knows how to identify talent and how to make it better. And – uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a weird sort of wrench thrown in the middle of their season, but I think Wake Forest wins. They're a better team than Army. Uh, obviously, the running game is going to affect them. It's going to be a, gr- a great test for that Wake Forest defense, but um, I, I think Wake Forest uh, stays unbeaten and keeps it rolling until uh, they have to start playing the big daddies in the ACC. Yeah, I'd stay away from this one. Wake has just been getting by teams. I just don't trust playing against Army. I don't know how that's going to go. If they get any kind of lead on you and then they just bleed you to death with the option offense like that. I think it could be a, a long day, perhaps, if things go a certain way. Last game here, and I'm not going to spend time on the actual game. UMass at Florida State. Florida State is 35-point favorites in this game, telling you how bad uh, UMass is. A, a win in this one would get the Seminoles to 3-4, and four, though. And you look at the rest of their schedule. At Clemson, not as daunting as, as you would once think. NC State at home, Miami at home, at Boston College, Florida at home. Are there three more wins on that schedule after this week to get them to bowl eligibility? Yeah, I, I think Miami and Boston College are definite possibilities. And uh, I think, you know, there's a chance they can go to uh, Clemson and pull it off. I mean, especially if Clemson loses this week, right? I mean, at that point, what does Clemson have to play for? You might have a lot of players who quit, start looking at the transfer portal saying, hey, uh, I'm emotionally drained. This isn't good enough. We don't have a chance to win the division anymore. So, yeah, I think there's potentially uh, three wins there. And I would say the Gators is another game. I mean, Florida has got three losses now. They, you know, they got to play Georgia next. That could be another sort of unsettling defeat for them where they're at four losses. So much of this becomes when do players quit, right? Like how, when do guys start looking at the NFL draft and when do I, you know, sit out the rest of the year to get myself ready for that? Uh, so, yeah, I think Florida State definitely has a shot. Uh, I think the win at North Carolina put them uh, in position to do so. Um, I, I think they could definitely beat Miami and Boston College. And then after that, it's can you find one more game? Um, I think it just depends on who's still playing at the end of the year. 
Well, Manny, I've kept you here for 40 plus minutes and you did not quit before the end of this podcast. So I thank you so much for that. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody go follow Manny on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro. Uh, read all about Miami. You dabble in the heat every now and then when important stuff happens uh, right. on the, the Miami heat beat. Listen to him on the Wide Right podcast. He's always recording podcasts like five times as many podcasts as I record here. Always doing that work there. Manny, thanks for m- so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Andy, and uh, let's let's hope we have a peaceful resolution to whatever hot seat we're covering here the next uh, couple months. No, oh, it won't be peaceful. It will be violent, and it will be a rough <laughs> couple of months. Lots of blood, lots of blood. <laughs> All right, that's another show in the books, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, go subscribe to The Athletic, too. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. We've got a great deal always going on there. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. I'll be covering Virginia Tech-Syracuse, the game that everybody wants to hear about this week. Uh, we'll be back again on the podcast to talk some more ACC action next week. <laughs>